Hello and welcome to episode 80 of Linux Downtime. I'm Joe. I'm Gary. I'm Amalith. And I'm Andy. Good to talk to you all again, and good to talk to you for the first time, Andy. Hello, yeah. So you emailed us and volunteered yourself as a guest on the show, uh-huh. and said that you do something to do with Element or something. So tell us about who you are. My name's Andy Balem. I've been working for Element for a couple of years, which is the company that does that established Matrix and does a lot of the work on Matrix. I've been trying to get into working open source for my whole career, and this is the first time I've succeeded, so I might have some observations about the differences between different worlds there. Well, yeah, that's actually what I thought we could talk about mostly today. Mm-hmm. So how long were you working in software development on proprietary stuff before you got into open source then? I guess about 20 years, slightly under 20 years probably. So working for different companies, I work for a company called Cognos that makes like business analytics stuff, and that got bought by IBM. Wow, that sounds really exciting. Yeah, oh, it, was, it was fascinating. <laughs> then I worked for IBM for quite a number of years, and then I worked in, uh, for a company called Open Market, writing like um, software that sends spam SMSs, no, SMSs to you, <laughs> before I managed to um, find a way to get into open source, which I've been really trying to do. Well, I've been trying to persuade the companies I work for that the thing I was doing really should be open source without a great deal of success. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I can see why you wanted to uh, get out of that boring proprietary <laughs> world. Mm-hmm. So now that you do work on open source software, how is the experience different? Well, I still work for a, a company, right? So there are things that are the same about that. Like you still need to find a way to make money. But I think something that's quite different at Element is Almost every conversation, including the conversations about making money, they have some kind of ethical dimension to them. And how are we, in some sense, is what we're going to do right? It doesn't mean we always make wonderful, ethically sound decisions, <laughs> but that's always in the, in the conversation. Whereas in the proprietary world, it's just how can we make money? And there's not, not really a conversation about the ethical aspects of it. Or if there is a discussion, it's a very short one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, certainly within IBM, for example, they're, they're entirely structured around are you going to make money from this? And the, the whole, the way the company operates its year is around am I going to get budget for this from the kind of decision-making group? I have to kind of sell it to them and then, not me, but you know, someone high up has to sell this stuff to them and then get the funding for it. So it's very, very focused. And it's been really interesting watching the Red Hat stuff and thinking, oh, right, okay, that's that process kicking in, and this is the result of it. I mean, that can't just be IBM, though. That must be most companies of that size operate like that. I think IBM are just more conscious about it and more open about it, at least internally, or just maybe even better at it. So apart from the questions about ethics, what else is different? I would say another thing that I've noticed and that I really wanted, part of why I wanted to get into open source is because you're working in public. And I think one of the motives for getting involved with open source generally is a kind of desire to show off. So you get to show off all day if you're, if you're working in public. You know, everything I'm doing is, is on GitHub and people can see what I'm doing. But it's not just showing off. It's also, um, I think it's a really good accountability thing there. You, you, you tend to do things a little bit better, write slightly better code if you know people are watching. So that's quite a nice, satisfying thing about it. Yeah, like you hear these stories about companies not wanting to open source proprietary stuff because the code is just horrible. Absolutely. I have I've definitely had those conversations multiple times, yeah. I never really bought into that, though, because as a developer, like we all know that we're, we're going to make mistakes every day and we're going to get better over time. 
And sometimes the only way to get there is by somebody to review your code. So, like, I, I understand where they're coming from because they're they're worried about, like, you know, their name brand recognition and reputation and stuff. But it's like, just throw it out there, get it fixed and get it done. Absolutely. And lots of open source code is terrible, right? Right. Open source definitely suffers from bad code, too. Just to be clear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think we people, at various times people were worried about, like, reputation damage from, mm-hmm. this is so awful, we don't want anyone to see it. Yeah, but, like, at the same time, it's like, if you're going to do open source, just do open source, right? Like, there's the whole thing about, like, when Mozilla originally open sourced the browser, and they wanted to make sure there was no bugs. It's like, just get it out there. Mm-hmm. People are going to find other bugs and fix them anyways. It doesn't matter. And then they were so ashamed that they just rewrote the whole thing from scratch. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know whether it was any better. Exactly. And if the community thinks your code is so horrible, they can contribute patches to fix it. In theory, yeah. I mean, if it's if it's horrible enough, no one does, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, how's pigeon going, Gary? <laughs> to be clear, you're the one that brought it up this time, not me. Not me. We're actually doing a lot better. Thank you very much. But yeah, no, historically, we what I like to describe is pigeon was developed by a lot of people learning how to program, and they did the best that they could at the time. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So designs aren't always sound, stuff like that. And not to say that I'm making perfectly sound design decisions now, but I hope they're better. <laughs> Actually, it leads me on to something else that is a difference working in open source company. We have outside contributions, which are of like widely varying quality. Mm-hmm. So that's a really interesting and cool part of it. Although I think something that's really difficult about it is that we are trying to be really focused on getting where we need to go so that Matrix isn't as terrible as everyone thinks it is. And uh, sometimes outside contributions are like just not relevant to the direction we're trying to go. And so trying to deal with that without being a horrible person or a horrible company uh, is a little bit... It's sad sometimes that you're turning away stuff that where people have worked really hard, but it doesn't quite fit. Yeah, we struggle with that a bit. Especially when somebody like doesn't know the longer term plan. So like they give you a patch for something that you're going to rewrite in like two months. Mm -hmm. And it's just something you got to kind of struggle with and deal with and be like, you know, sure, this is cool, but this isn't the direction we want to go kind of thing. And like, but if you're interested, here's what we're looking at. If you want to update or work on that kind of thing, you know, to try to keep them involved and not just be like, nope, sorry, we're not going to take it. Surely you just reply with a bunch of expletives like Torvalds used to do. There's also, there's a time investment required, right, for any of that interaction, but especially if you're going to help someone refocus their effort, Mm. that's a significant amount of time from you. You're sort of getting into mentoring at that point. Like, if the code isn't totally up to scratch or totally in the direction you want to go, then you have to decide, presumably, whether you're going to invest that time to mentor the person to get it to where you want it to be as a project. Absolutely. Definitely mentoring, and that, that would be really satisfying and cool if that was the main thing. But there, there's other stuff as well. Like so We had a contribution recently. A couple of years ago, we started changing our coding standards to make sure that there's always testing, really good testing for new bits of code that are written. We had a contribution the other day for a bit of code that is basically not tested and is terrible, and the person, the contributor, didn't want to write tests for it because it was going to be really hard. And so then the question is, well, do we take that contribution even though it might break everything because we don't know whether it works? Or do we help them with the testing? Where do we find the time to invest in mentoring through that or just doing the work of writing the test because they can't be bothered? It's a really difficult decision. Yeah, I think that's one of those things you always have to kind of look at. So, like, for example, I just opened a pull request for Pigeon last night where I was like, I'm not writing unit tests for this because the unit tests are going to be five times as much code as this change. Mm -hmm. And 
that's something we need to fix. And just us doing unit tests, like you said, you just started doing it as well or recently. And that's something that's new for us too. But like this unit test, we would have spent more time reviewing the unit test than reviewing the actual code. And the code was very mm-hmm. straightforward. So it's like, we'll try to catch it and review when it's easier to write the unit test. We'll come back and do it. Hopefully. <laughs> I'm a, a massive like test driven development advocate. I have been through a lot, a lot of my career. So I'm trying to bring this into our team. It was already coming, but I was, I'm trying to bring it. But that means that for the stuff work we're doing, we do put in all the extra effort for all that testing. But then asking that of someone who's doing this for fun in their spare time, yeah. it becomes difficult. Yeah, no, I, I totally understand. Um, we're in a similar spot too, right? So it's like, you know, we'll do our best review and then maybe we'll come around and write the unit test if they're going to be really problematic or something. But again, like you mentioned before, the whole issue comes down to timelines and stuff like that. And does this contribution fit into that? Is there time to come back and do those unit tests, that kind of stuff? And mm-hmm. it, it's, you know, it's a balancing act. I think a huge difference for me between working on open source in my spare time, which is what I was doing through the rest of my career and working in a company is that one of the things I loved about working on open source was that I got to choose, this is going to take me ages because I'm going to write really good tests for it. Mm-hmm. And that those decisions are, you know, more, they have more commercial meaning now and then you have to make compromises. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Factor. With the busy fall season already in swing, you might be looking for wholesome, convenient meals for jam-packed days. Factor can help you fuel up fast with chef-prepared, dietitian approved ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track with your healthy lifestyle. Too busy this fall to cook but want to make sure you're eating well? With Factor, skip the extra trip to the grocery store and the chopping, prepping, and cleaning up too, while still getting the flavor and nutritional quality you need. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are ready in just two minutes, so all you have to do is heat them up and enjoy. Level up with Gourmet Plus options, prepared to perfection by chefs and ready to eat in record time. Treat yourself to upscale meals with premium ingredients like broccolini, leeks, truffle butter, and asparagus. Gary tried Factor and said he loved the variety of delicious meals, found it super convenient, and was happy to see how recyclable the packaging is. So support the show and go to factormeals.com slash LDT50 and use code LDT50 to get 50% off. That's code LDT50 at factormeals.com slash LDT50 to get 50% off. Quick bit of admin then. First of all, thank you everyone who supports us with PayPal and Patreon. We really do appreciate that. If you want to join those people, you can go to linuxdowntime.com slash support. And remember that for various amounts on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed of either just this show or all the shows in the Late Night Linux family. And if you want to get in contact with us, you can email show at linuxdowntime.com. You mentioned the being public about your code and your work generally. Mm -hmm. Was it not a nice aspect of just kind of working the nine to five or nine to six, whatever, and just being able to just clock off and just go and be with your family and friends and, you know, just not have it constantly be there. Like with an open source project, there's almost an expectation that you will be not necessarily on call all the time, but you'll be around, you know, cause this is on the internet. There's it's a 24 seven operation. I mean, there's definitely the risk of getting into like an internet argument, right? And then that would definitely stress me out for, you know, the next, however long that took. Other than that, I, I keep reasonable boundaries around my work, even though it's an open source project. So I, I don't feel the, the pressure of that too much. Having said that, my boss got into an internet argument just the other day and it was very stressful for him. So it can definitely can happen. <laughs> 
Have you had to be very intentional and mindful about setting those boundaries for yourself or were they relatively easy to put in place and maintain? I am very intentional about it and I think I need to be in order to do it. I, I also go to the office three days a week, which is pretty rare for an open source developer probably. So that helps me a lot. But yeah, I have basically a time of day where I stop and don't go back. So that helps me. I was going to ask you about working from home then. Have you always been able to have a hybrid approach or have you mostly been in offices throughout your career? I got a weird relationship with working from home. I really don't like it. So um, I'm answering this question from like the other way around, maybe from a lot of people. Yeah. So most of my career, I've worked in an office. And part of why I don't like working from home is because one of the really depressing workplaces that I worked in, one of the things about it that was so depressing was that people kept started staying away because there was the opportunity to work from home. So people just stopped bothering to turn up. And for me, that was kind of symbolic of just how awful it was to be there. But at the good times in my career, when I've been in an office with like the whole team and having stand-up meetings where we're actually standing up and we can collaborate and sit next to each other and figure stuff out or work, write stuff on a whiteboard and understand what the right thing to do is. I really love doing that. So it's really nice for me that Element has an office that I can get to and go to, but it's also a compromise for me that a lot of the people who work for Element are not in that office at all around the world, including most of the people that I write code with. So I have to interact with them through chat and through GitHub and stuff. And I don't find that as good as face-to-face interaction. So I do miss that a little bit. I find that odd, but I suppose I'm not a developer. So, you know, what I do here, well, it would if we were all sitting in a room together, this would be a better episode. There's no doubt in my mind, but we are geographically distributed. I presume that you are in the south of England. I am, yeah. Yeah, so we probably could have got together, but then it would have been weird to have two people remote or whatever. But surely the advantages of being able to work with people all around the world outweighs the disadvantages of not being together. Yeah, I mean, I think it does, right? So even just the fact that you can employ people, you don't have to worry about where they are, so you get to choose from more people or whatever, or there's more opportunity for people to think you're cool and want to work for you. Mm. So yeah, it, that, that's cool. It doesn't change the fact that, like you said, it, like this would be a better episode if we were sat in the same room. I think we'd write better code, and I'd have a lot more fun if I was writing it in the same room as those people. So we have to try and recreate that a bit, you know, like, find ways of making it feel a bit more like you're in the same room. It's hard. Well, I've heard of people having like enforced fun time on, uh, you know, video calls or whatever, where it's like no work talk or whatever. And like, we're going to have half an hour of talk about whatever on on a Friday afternoon or something like that. Do you do stuff like that? I've done it in the past and I've had it work okay. And actually we're doing it in our team at the moment that we have every week. We have a bit of time where we, it's not like an enforced rule that there's no work talk, but there's no, there's no agenda. And we sort of try and get to know each other a bit and, Probably some of my colleagues think that that's a waste of time or, you know, not the best use of their time. But for me, it's like incredibly valuable. I, I like need human interaction. So it's good for me. Yeah. I think there's a personality type that just wants to just get the work done mm-hmm. and doesn't necessarily appreciate the sort of social aspects of it. But I suppose what you're trying to say is like that is sort of essential, really, because if you just only worry about the code and are just totally concentrating on that, then you kind of miss out on the ability to interact with each other. And I mean, it's again, like relating it to these shows, before we started recording, we had a bit of banter and I told you about my hectic uh, couple of days that I've had. 
just to sort of lighten the mood, really, and make it a bit easier to talk to each other. And I suppose if you're not interacting with each other, apart from pure business, you don't kind of build up the chemistry, I suppose. Absolutely. I think there's two aspects to it. Like One is just as a human being, you spend a lot of time at work. It's good for humans to spend time with humans. But I also think in terms of the work, one of the things that is potentially a real problem in open source work is that there's this kind of pretense that it's all about the code and the, and the code is so expressive that you can almost communicate just through the code. And you don't actually end up then with like a shared vision of, of what style the code should be in or where the product is going or whatever. So yeah, I really think that human interaction is a huge part of being a developer, which maybe sounds surprising. <laughs> I don't think so. I've worked at quite a few places where we'd have like Friday afternoon, like goof off time or whatever. And like a lot of people would like just go home. And it's like, it's one thing if you have something to do kind of thing or whatever, but like, you know, you, you lose that community bonding kind of thing. Like yeah. you're describing when you don't do that kind of stuff. And I think that the community bonding and getting to know each other stuff helps as you're describing, have a better vision and stuff like that. Cause you know, you can better understand where somebody's coming from, where they're coming up with ideas and how things should go forward and stuff like that. And when you don't do any of that, it's just like everybody's just, you know, kind of defending their own points and thinks they're right. And they're not willing to concede at all or, you know, view things from other people's point mm -hmm. of view and stuff like that. Definitely. During COVID, when everyone was boasting about how like we're fully remote now and no one has to come to the office, I did wonder whether in a few years there's going to be this sort of radical new idea of a startup that's like, we do this amazing thing of like going to the same place and working together. <laughs> <laughs> but you argue that the hybrid approach is probably best then. As an individual, it works for me that I get, I leave the house and that makes me feel better about myself. Uh, and I walk a bit, which otherwise I wouldn't move at all. <laughs> but yeah, I think as a, as a company working on open source, it would be odd not to be able to hire people whoever wants to work on it right so i can't really see any any other choice it, make, it makes a lot of sense to me to do that I, I think i'm really lucky that i've got an office to go to i've actually got the same opinion but for different reasons i i do prefer having an office i can go to even if that's just a co-working space it doesn't necessarily have to be with the same people i'm working with like the same people i'm developing code with mm -hmm. because in my mind mixing work and play at home is a bad idea that results in mm -hmm. me procrastinating and not being productive or getting anything done. But the mental switch of going into a professional environment does a lot for helping me focus on things personally. But what if you just hate people like I do? <laughs> then, then working from home is definitely an option. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's why hybrid is probably best. There's another aspect, too, about working from home, too, that a lot of people overlook, and that's that you lose track of time, right? Like, if you're at the office, you're like, oh, it's almost quitting time. It's almost quitting time, right? But if you're at home, you don't think about the time so much. So, all of a sudden, you're like, oh, I just worked an hour later than I normally would have if I was in the office kind of thing. I think it's a guilt thing as well, which is that I, I tend to feel like if I go to the toilet when I'm working from home, I'm like, oh, no, I'm wasting time. I'm not working. And if I go into the office, it doesn't matter what I'm doing. If I sit and chat with someone all day, that's like, yeah, I did a day of work today. <laughs> exactly. It's just that completely different mindset when you're actually in the office. Yeah. So it's been about two years since you switched to working on open source. Do you think that you are ultimately happier as a result of that? I'm really happy that I get to work on open source, right? Like I've always wanted to, and it, it does deliver. Like I, I feel like I'm doing something useful instead of just something that is going to be thrown away. 
or even could get lost if the company went under or something like that, you know. So hmm. I'm definitely really happy and satisfied that I'm doing that. I'm also like adapting to the, the world that I find myself in. And uh, as you might have been able to tell, I'm, I'm like into interacting with other people and open source can attract some people who are not really into interacting with other people. And my, my role in, in our team is like a tech lead. So I see that as a kind of a, someone who gets people to interact and sort of mentors people and all that stuff. Programmers are often people who don't want to interact much with other people anyway. So it's not like it's a new thing to me, but I think that the, the open source world has, has maybe got even more of that kind of sense. So that's definitely pretty challenging. But I think if I was completely stuck at home, there might not be a decent trade-off for me. But with that aspect of it as well, and the fact that I get to do something that like, in some sense lasts forever or is useful to the world is a, a huge reward for me. And the, uh, I'm also having real fun working with my, my colleagues. Well, it's been great talking to you, Andy. Thanks for joining us. Any websites or accounts you want to plug for people to find you or find out what you've been up to? I'm on Mastodon. I'm at Andy Balaam at mastodon.social. If you don't know how to spell Balaam, maybe there could be a link in the show notes or something. Yeah, yeah, I'll put a link in, no worries. I also live stream weekly at 2 p.m. UK time, me coding some Rust matrixy stuff. So you can find that on andybalaam.uk.to. Those are probably the best ways to find me. Find me on Mastodon and all the other things that I do, you can find from there. All right, well, if you send me some links, I'll stick them in the show notes. Will do. Right, well, we'd better get out of here then. We'll be back in a couple of weeks, but until then, I've been Joe. I've been Gary. I've been Amalith. And I've been Andy. See you later.